Good morning, everybody. We've never met. My name is Greg, and um, I'm on the team as well. If you've never been to a church service like this, I just want to explain very quickly. We sing a few songs in worship to God, which is what we've done. We talk about some of the opportunities to serve our local community, and then we come around a part of the Holy Scriptures that God has passed down to us that helps us to live our life. And that's what we're going to do right now. So if you have a Bible with you or you have your smart device and you can access a Bible online, um, I really encourage you to take notes this morning. So thanks, team. You can head off. Appreciate it. I want to talk this morning about baptism because baptism is unseen spiritual warfare. You know, as Westerners, we don't always talk a lot about the unseen realm and the spiritual forces that are active in the world because we can't see them. Now, of course, some people have more awareness about them and they'll talk about the unseen realm in more detail. And, of course, where does God live? God lives in the unseen realm. We can't see him. And so when we talk about baptism or spiritual warfare, we often don't connect the two things together. But, of course, we've just had five people go through the waters of baptism today. And when we think about spiritual warfare, for those who are following God or you consider yourself to be a disciple or a Christian, we often use terms around spiritual warfare around things like prayer. So, you know, maybe praying in tongues, standing against the enemy, rebuking the devil. We talk about that type of spiritual warfare. But in actual fact, Peter, so one of the apostles, the disciples that walked and lived with Jesus, he wrote in the New Testament around baptism, pointing to the fact that it is a spiritual warfare activity. And so I'm going to read that verse to you today. So if you have your Bibles, it's 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to start at verse 18 and go through to verse 22. And you might have a different translation that's on the screen. That's fine. There's, if you don't understand around translations, there's various ways of translating an ancient language using different English words. And so some English translation vary in the exact same wording that they use. They use different words. So what's in front of you might be slightly different. So now I want you to remember, Peter knows Jesus, walked, talked, saw him be crucified, saw him be resurrected, talked to Jesus after his resurrection before Jesus ascended back into the unseen realm. And Peter's writing, when he writes this little letter to a group of believers, he's writing to Christians in modern-day Turkey. In the ancient world, they call it Asia Minor. So these are not Jewish people. So Peter's Jewish, but he's writing to Christians who don't have a Jewish heritage. They don't have all the traditions around following Yahweh. So he has to explain what baptism really is. So let's read it together. This is what he tells this church or a number of churches um, throughout ancient Turkey. He says, For Christ also suffered once for our sins, so that's the death on the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous. So that's Jesus being righteous, suffering death for us who are unright with God, that he might, that is God, bring us to God. So Jesus brings us to God through his death and his resurrection being put to death in the flesh, so that is he was crucified, he did physically die on the cross. Jesus died physically on the cross. But 
made alive in the spirit. That's why he was resurrected. That's why he could overcome death. In which, now listen to this, this is very, some, I don't think, I, don't, I can't remember the last time I've heard anyone preach on this verse. In which, so when he was crucified, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey him. Because they formally did not obey him when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Now if you're taking notes, that's Genesis 6. Genesis 6, 7, 5, 6, 7, 8. The flood. Noah's Ark, you've probably heard the story, whether you're a Christian or not. You've heard some idea about the idea of Noah's Ark. But he's talking not just about humans being rebellious towards God or disobedient, but disobedient spirits in the unseen realm. And he says, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is only eight persons, so that's Noah and his family, um, were brought safely through water baptism. Now, Noah and his family weren't baptised in a in a tank of water like this. That's not what he's alluding to. He's using what's called a metaphor, that the fact that when the earth was flooded with water and Noah and his family were in the ark, they were saved, but of course they were immersed in the water, not physically or literally, but the fact that their boat was floating across the earth in water. So he says that's... Now, I want you to follow his, his logic here. That's the metaphor for baptism. When we get saved, when we come into relationship with God through Jesus, then we want to be water baptised because that symbolises a number of Old Testament stories, including this one with Noah and his family. Now listen to this. He says, which corresponds to this. So that is water baptism. Now saves you, not as a removal of dirt. Now he has to say that. Jews understood baptism was not about getting physically clean and washing off grime and dirt, body odour, doing your hair. The Jews understood that. They had a whole system for, for centuries around cleanliness before God and cleaning themselves before they worshipped God, which morphed into what we understand as baptism today. But, of course, Peter's not writing to Jews, so they don't fully understand these these Gentiles or non-Jewish people don't understand why would God want us to immerse ourselves in water? Is it just to get physically clean? So he says it's not about removing physical dirt from you, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Now, if you're writing notes, I want you to underline or write down the word appeal. I'm going to come back to that. And the word conscience. I'm going to come back to that. Um, so you... What happens is when you go through the waters of baptism, you're making an appeal to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And verse 22 is really what often I think us Westerners rush over. But Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, right hand of God is a symbol for absolute, total authority and power. Right? Anyone who's at the right hand of Yahweh has absolute and total power and authority over all things, seen and unseen. And he says, with angels, now listen to this, authorities and powers, so unseen realm, spiritual forces, being subjected to Jesus. So when we saw these five people go through baptism, what was really happening is more than just them making a public declaration, 
they are actually declaring to the spiritual realm that they have allegiance to God through Jesus Christ. It's spiritual warfare. So it's not in the way that often, you know, we as Christians use that term. Now, I want to just park on verse 19 and 20. So again, if you're taking notes, I'm just going to park there for a moment. Because what Peter does, there's a a number of ancient writings that were very popular to the very first Jews um, who became Christians and then the early non-Jews, referred to in biblical terms as Gentiles. So that's you and me. We don't have a Jewish heritage. That were floating around during the time of Jesus and, and Peter that sometimes they allude to in their writings, but we don't know because we don't read those documents. So they, don't, they didn't end up in our Holy Scriptures, sometimes for very good reasons, and happy to chat to you about that another day. Um, but they were alluded to or actually even directly quoted from. And what Peter does in verse 19 and 20 where he says that when Jesus was crucified, he descended or went into the unseen realm to tell the disobedient spirits what was going to happen to them because of their disobedience, he's quoting from this other ancient document that the apostles used. Jude actually quotes from it directly in the book of Jude in your scriptures. Peter sort of rewrites it here. He grabs this concept and it's actually around Enoch. So he doesn't mention his name, but the early Christians understood what he was referring to. It would be like if we quoted Mother Teresa, C.S. Lewis, Nelson Mandela, or if I reworded that quote, you would easily pick up that I'm using that. So that's actually what he does here. Now, I know what you're thinking. Who on earth is Enoch? And what's he got to do with the story? Because he's not mentioned by name by Peter in this verse. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I'm going to answer it. Uh, Go to the next slide for me. You can see, oh, it's already there. So Enoch is actually the seventh generation from Adam. So he's Adam's great, 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 great grandson. And he's actually Noah's grandfather, right? So he's one of the patriarchs. So if you've not heard that term before or not sure what it means, a patriarch is effectively one of what we call the fathers of the faith. They're the ones that pattern for us what life will be like if we choose to follow God. There's spiritual um, parallels that they experience and that we will experience, not in the same circumstances, but in dynamic. So like trusting God under suffering or being a true disciple of God when things are working against you, or coming and bringing your offerings to God, um, you know, or praying to God, worshipping God, studying his word and living it out in our everyday life. What we read in the Old Testament, they parallel our discipleship experience today. That's why we read the scriptures and apply it to our lives, because we learn from them. Now, here's the interesting thing about Enoch. So unlike, say, Moses, Abraham, some of the other patriarchs of of the faith who followed God, there's very little said about him in the Bible. In fact, he only gets mentioned twice. And in the Old Testament, where he's first mentioned, it's like two verses. And all that the author does in the Old Testament is really, he's in a lineage or like a family tree from Abraham down through to Noah. And it's in Genesis. And the reason why that sort of family tree is there is because the writer of that story 
wants to account for why the flood came because of the disobedience, the Tower of Babel, people wanting to become like God. So the writer's sort of getting quickly to the point, but wants to show from Adam and Eve the descendants to Noah. And so Enoch gets a mention two generations before Noah. But the mention is so brief. It effectively just says Enoch was very faithful to God. He walked with God and he didn't die a physical death. God actually just took him. Now, who does that remind you of? Who can tell me? Elijah, right? So there's a parallel there, this prophetic sort of man of God, true, passionate follower of Yahweh in an ancient world that he was so faithful to God in his obedience and in the way he lived out his life that God doesn't let him suffer a physical death but takes him straight to heaven. The other mention is in the New Testament where the writer of Hebrews in this list of heroes of faith, so again, those that we learn from, male and female, like he mentions Esther and Abraham and, you know, there's a whole lot of lists. In Hebrews 11, he mentions Enoch, again, because of his faithfulness towards God. Now, as I mentioned before, there's these early other documents that circulated that didn't end up in the Holy Scriptures and there is a a number of writings around Enoch that were being used, that Peter quotes from uh, or sort of rewrites in 1 Peter 3, uh, chapter 19 and 20 that we just read. And it's commonly referred to now as the book of Enoch, although there's elements that were sort of stitched together over time. But the early sort of manuscript or ancient scroll that was being circulated telling Enoch's story included this very unusual thing that God asked him to do and that is to go to the underworld and tell the disobedient spirits of their doom. Do you get that? Now, I know it's playing with your head, right? Because, you know, us Westerners don't think of we're animistic. We don't think the world is run by spirits. Um, But, of course, most other cultures even today in the world see it that way. Uh, We've been sort of brainwashed is probably a strong word but you know we've been told that if you can't see it it's not true and you know science tells us what's truth but of course we worship a god we can't see we we are people that believe in an unseen realm and in fact peter at the end of this verse that we've just read reminds us that he is seated at the right hand of god and is over every power and authority he has dominion over everything Right Now, in Greek, that means everything. There's nothing special about that word. There's no spiritual force. Evil, wicked, disobedient, good, bad, angelic. There is no spiritual force that Jesus does not have absolute power and dominion over. That's what Peter wants you to know when you go through the waters of baptism. Because when you do that, you are telling that unseen realm that you've just made an allegiance to that one God, not any other God. Now, there's many gods that people choose in the world. There's a whole variety of gods in other cultures. Um, And I would argue in Western culture, we have our own gods as well. We don't make little idols or likenesses of them, but the way we live and what that culture around us tells us We worship certain things because, you know, you can tell by what you worship through where your time and your resources go, right? So we worship things like money, 
Um, we worship success. We, we worship a whole range of other things. We may not have a little idol sitting on a shelf like a Hindu god or an African god or, you know, some other culture, Chinese god. But, but our culture, nevertheless, is still impacted by the unseen realm. We, we just don't always recognise it. So here's what I want you to know because you're probably thinking, why on earth is Greg, you know, I'm giving you some meat today spiritually. This is not... This is not baby food spiritually, right? This is spiritual warfare when you get baptised. So here's what I want you to know. Next slide, thank you. Pledge and loyalty. So I mentioned about verse, uh, what, what was it for? Verse 20, thank you. Um, in English, it doesn't sort of pull out the word that Peter embeds here because, you know, the trouble when you translate something from one language to another, you, you, you have to make a choice, on which word you use, but every word has a range of meaning. So, you know, when my children say to me, oh, Dad, that was wicked, they're not saying that was evil. What are they saying? It was fantastic, right? It was great, right? So every word has a range of meanings, doesn't it? So you can look up a dictionary, um, and you can do this for the ancient languages that the Scriptures were originally written in, and it gives you a range of meanings because it's the context in which that word appears that dictates which range of meaning you apply. So what Peter actually is doing here, he's actually saying when someone gets baptised in water, they are making a pledge. So the word that in English is appeal is actually the word, the same words they use for pledging something. So you're appealing or pledging yourself to a God. You're saying out of all the gods, out of all the spirits, out of all the unseen realm, I'm choosing Jesus because God sent Jesus to save me, right? So you can, it's actually almost better read that way in English, that he's not, not making some sort of appeal like, oh, please, you know, please. It's not, an, it's not that sort of appeal. It's a pledge. It's like pledging yourself, appealing yourself, your whole self. And then the word conscience, when we say good conscience, the problem in English, the word conscience we think well, the way we use it in English most regularly is it's, in a, it's like a morality choice between good and bad, right? So if I make a good choice, I've got a good conscience about it. But in Peter's world, that's not how he used the word that he used as, and when he wrote these words to the churches in Turkey. It was actually about allegiance, loyalty, your good loyalty. So when you go through the waters of baptism... Peter wants this, these churches in Turkey at this time, 2,000 years ago, to know, and I'm reiterating Peter's truth here, that that is you pleading your loyalty to God through Jesus Christ and rejecting every other spiritual unseen realm force that's out there. Exclusivity commitment to this one God that sent his son Jesus. That's really what Peter is saying. And that's why he ends the passage that we read. That's why Jesus is now far above every power and authority and everything he has dominion over and is in subjection to him. Because he did go down and tell them that he was taking over. Right? And he had the right to do that because he was perfect, sinless, and now he is in total control. Now, you're probably thinking, well, what's that got to do with anything? Well, go to the next slide. Thanks, Rachel. The thing is with baptism, water baptism, you are actually making an oath of loyalty 
to God and to Jesus Christ. That's what you're doing. Now, we do it in other ways. So, you know, if you make a decision to become a Christian, you often pray what, what is often referred to as a sinner's prayer. But really, you know, that's a funny term in a way because we're all sinners saved by grace. But it's an initial prayer saying, God, I recognise I need you in my life and I'm giving my life to you. So that's another way of pledging your allegiance to God. But what water baptism does is repeat that pledge and it does it publicly. So like your family and friends were here today, maybe for those who didn't get baptised today, when you got baptised, your family and friends and your church family were there to witness it because there is a public declaration to water baptism. But you're publicly declaring, listen to this, not just to other humans but to the unseen realm of your loyalty and exclusive loyalty between you and God in this cosmic battle where, the, where evil still has influence in our world, you're reminding the defeated spiritual forces of their doom because you have chosen to put yourself in Jesus Christ who has total victory over all things. So where your allegiance is matters. You know, at the end of your life, where your loyalty and allegiance spiritually has been matters because only Jesus can save you and that's why our allegiance is with him right that's what we're doing so it's more than just a public declaration to humans it's actually a spiritual declaration to the unseen realm of our allegiance so let me finish with this because you know I'm a pretty practical sort of guy that loyalty doesn't stop when you get water baptized or when you make a decision for God so like if you say a sinner's prayer or you get water baptized that allegiance is continuous. So it matters how you live. I mean, you know, we were singing before some words around we've chosen to worship God and he exchanged his life for for ours. And Pastor Charles mentioned about our passion as a church is to follow God, pursue him intentionally and directly, but not just in a religious sense, not just coming on a Sunday to a service where we feel like this is our duty and then once we leave this building our spiritual stuff for the week is done that's not what we do and it's certainly not what the Bible teaches because your allegiance is daily every choice you make every word you speak either reveals your allegiance or reveals your disobedience to God what you do with your money reveals your allegiance to God or your disobedience to God what you do with your life, your time, your skills, your ability. It either declares publicly your allegiance to God or your disobedience to God once you've made this declaration that you're following Jesus. And that's what Peter wanted that church or those churches to know 2,000 years ago. That it's not, it doesn't stop, you know, from getting baptised in water or making that first sinner's prayer. You don't just do a public allegiance once or twice and then I've done it. And now I can sort of get on with my life. That's the spirit of religion, not the spirit of Christ. We are all discipling ourselves after 
who Jesus is. That is, we want His truth to be evident in how we speak, how we treat each other, how we live our lives, whether it's to other Christians or before non-Christians or people who don't understand God. We want God to be evident in how and who we are, right? Religiosity is, is not, is, we don't just finish it sim, sort of symbolism around our allegiance to God. Every action declares whether you're loyal to God or not. Now, you know, loyalty to Jesus is not going to be restricted to today for those who got baptised. And it's not restricted to the time when I got water baptised either. It's a choice I'm making. And so that's what I want you to think about when you think about water baptism. And if you've never been water baptised, well, you've heard we've, we'll have another baptism, you know, in a month or so. Come and, come and chat to us or talk to them at the hub after the service and put your name down because it is a spiritual declaration to the unseen realm of your allegiance to God through Jesus Christ. Having that, you know, having Jackson dedicated, that's pledging allegiance to God. What you do after this service, you know, and how you interact with other people, it can show your allegiance to God. So we live in a spiritual realm that we don't see and we, I think sometimes we either undervalue or ignore or undermine it. But there's a truth here. And as human beings, as Christians following a God who sent His Son to die on a cross, we want to make sure that every day we're giving allegiance to God. Not once or twice in a lifetime and think that, that that's, that's what works. But every God-focused word or action is declaring to humans and to the unseen realm of our spiritual allegiance to Jesus Christ because God loved us so much in His grace that He sent His only Son. Why don't you close your eyes? Think about your own allegiance. We do live in a spiritual realm, but it's not a warfare in the sense that we don't know who's already won. <laughs> Jesus has total absolute victory and he'll he's going to return and enforce that victory on the earth one day but until then we have to live a life that demonstrates our total loyalty and allegiance to him exclusively and to no other thing not ourselves so some christians you may have made this declaration not fully being understand the depth but you're still living for yourself. Your allegiance is more to yourself than to God. Or it's to your plan or what you think, you know, should happen in your life. Or if you've never made a commitment to Jesus, and maybe you're here for the very first time, actually hearing a discussion around who Jesus is. He is God coming in human form to lay down his life on our behalf that we don't have to pay for the penalty of our disobedience and it's a free gift of grace so father god we just ask you to by the power of your spirit to examine our hearts all of us right now those who are in relationship with you those who are not sure who you are those listening online those in the room father god examine our hearts that we would not just pledge allegiance verbally, but we would live it in every action. Helping the poor, ministering to widows, giving away our resources to those in need, 
Lord, everything is a, is a spiritual battle and we are bringing your kingdom on earth by forgiving the unforgivable, by extending grace, by showing love, by not judging, by, by loving people, by laying down our lives so other people can have and survive and, and experience your great goodness. So Father, may we be true disciples, not just attend a religious service, but shape our lives, God, after your Son, Jesus Christ, that people would see the kingdom of God and the unseen realm know that our total allegiance is with you alone. That's why your eyes are closed. If you've never made a conscious decision to pledge loyalty to God, it's simply just making a, a choice and we pray together, explain who Jesus is. We'll, we've got a Bible. If you don't have one, we can give you a Bible. Alpha's coming up. You just heard Alpha's the great place. to unpacks really the who Jesus is and why do we follow him with our lives. You can make that decision today. If that's you, if you really feel that God is speaking to you right now, because sometimes we feel the presence of God. We call it the Spirit of God. God's you know, there's a couple of words in the Bible, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. That's God's presence. And sometimes God really does come and visit us and we feel His presence. And you might be feeling that right now. And that's just God saying, I'm, I'm real. This is true. I love you. You can follow me. Your, your life doesn't have to be what it is. That's why we made the decision to follow God because that's what happened to us if that's you just while your eyes closed just for privacy just put your hand up we'll have a chat after the service I'll pray with you talk to you answer some questions if you have any questions about who Jesus is come and chat to us after the service a few of us will be at the front of this room here let me close the service in prayer Father, for those five baptisms, what a declaration of allegiance and loyalty to you, that their lives are now hidden in Christ. And Father, for all of us who follow you with our lives, may we be a witness for the kingdom of God in bringing love and hope and joy and peace and healing. And Father God, may we grow and mature, strengthen our allegiance to you, Holy Spirit, if you need to direct or correct us, we're asking you to do that, that we would be more faithful to the covenant that we have through Jesus. And Father, we thank you for your love, undeserved, unmerited, no matter how long we've been following you, every day is a gift of your love. And Father, we acknowledge that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.